Hey everyone, this is Muggle Mike, and this is Muggle Mike and the Half Brick Mates. Uh, this is episode one. I'm going to be covering Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, or the Philosopher's Stone, depending where you are. Um, forgive me if this audio is not fantastic. I'm staying in a hotel room that's pretty live, so we'll see how this turns out. Uh, but I'm really excited to talk about this first book. I know this book is and was a gateway for reading for so many people. I, I enjoyed reading in general before the Harry Potter series. I read the Animorph books and the Goosebump books and uh, Encyclopedia Brown and you know a bunch of other you know books here and there. Um, but the Harry Potter series was the stuff that really, really got me hooked on reading and looking forward to another book. I don't think there was ever a time before that where I was actively seeking out a book and waiting for the release. So um, I did record an intro episode. Go feel free to go back and listen to that. But um, I'm going to kind of re-go over a lot of that in this first episode. But um, just uh, to kind of get this out right away, the title of this podcast is a little strange. Uh, Muggle Mike and the Half-Brick Mates. Half-Brick Mates seems like a really weird link to Harry Potter. And that's because... I am the admin of a Facebook group called Harry Potter and the Half Brick Mates, and the Half Brick Mates is a joke um, that Nick Mason, one of the hosts of the Weekly Planet, uh, made. And this uh, Facebook group is actually a subgroup of the uh, Planet Broadcasting Great Mates group, which is kind of a fan community for the Weekly Planet and some other podcasts that used to be part of the network. So that's where this name came around um, to kind of talk about why I was the, made the admin of the group and why uh, <laughs> why I'm doing this podcast. Um, I am a you know amateur podcaster. I have a couple podcasts. I'm not going to plug them. That's not what this podcast is for. This podcast is for that uh, Facebook group, but I do have some of that stuff in the introductory episode. But when they made a Harry Potter subgroup, um, there was another gentleman whose name is escaping, but he DM'd me and asked if I wanted to be a moderator. And then just a few weeks into the pod, he kind of disappeared and people asked if I would be the, the uh, admin. And uh, I went and did some paperwork with Facebook and they unlocked it and they made me admin. But um, prior to the Facebook group existing, anytime a Harry Potter kind of thread came up on the main page, um, I was always in there. And so people knew me as the Harry Potter guy <laughs> within the uh, great mates. So um, that's kind of how my journey to the podcast started. I do want to talk about why I think I've connected to Harry Potter um, so much. Um, first, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I am definitely a Gryffindor. I uh, am very competitive, which I think is a trait that not everybody talks about enough. I think everyone talks about the bravery and whatnot, um, but I think that's the reason why Hermione is in Gryffindor and not Ravenclaw. She's not seeking knowledge for knowledge's sake, even though she craves knowledge, but she wants to be the best and needs to thrive and be you know, a center of attention in some sort. I'm kind of the same way. I'm a little bit of a know-it-all. I know a little bit about everything. I'm not quite as uh, studious as as Hermione. I'm definitely lazier. Um, but I do need to know a little bit about everything. And then you get to, like, my connection with the character Harry Potter. He is a character that there's a lot of stuff I do not like about the character. And the things that I do not like about him are some of the things I don't like about myself. And we'll explore that as the podcast goes. Um, I'm going to be doing one episode um, per book and then maybe going on to the movies. And then we'll see how this evolves after that. What I do want to say is I do relate to the character of Harry. Um, I grew up in, low, in a low-income family. 
Um, my family are not the nicest people now. I wasn't raised by, you know, an estranged aunt and uncle, but my family is filled with people that aren't the best. And then I also just always kind of had this chip on my so- shoulder. I have parents who are narcissists, and that kind of creates this environment where you strive to be the best and be better and be noticed. And even though that's not necessarily what Harry wants to do, he wants to kind of sleep away. He doesn't run away from the challenge or the spotlight necessarily. Uh, but he's also a defender of people growing up. I got sent to the principal's office quite a bit uh, for standing up for people, mouthing off to teachers, typically if they were getting political when they shouldn't be, if they were saying something that was blatantly wrong or if they were picking on one of my peers I would stand up for them and that got me in a little bit of trouble uh, and it's also got me in a little bit of trouble in my professional life where I uh, never had a problem challenging authority upwards so um, it's definitely something that comes up a lot in the Harry Potter books but some other things I've uh, you know I worked at the the movie theater with a few of these movies I even Back when film uh, was still on film, I actually built the uh, um, the reel for the fourth and fifth movies, and that was really exciting for me. Uh, and I actually I didn't mention this on the uh, intro episode, but I am a uh, a huge nerd, and I've actually named all my pets um, after Harry Potter characters. So I used to have a gecko named Minerva. Uh, I have two cats right now. Uh, one is Hagrid. He's a big sixteen pound mutt but he's big and fluffy and he's got huge paws dark just really fluffy furly messy fur and so he's Hagrid and then I've got Helga named after Helga Hufflepuff um so yeah I'm definitely a nerd but I uh I'm looking forward to talking about these movies with you guys um and so I what I'd like to do is I'd actually like to start with um some comments from some of the great mates, the half-brick mates, and um, I'm going to go ahead and read a few of these. Because I did ask for anybody who was writing in to tell me, you know, something about why they like the series or a favorite memory. Um, but I wanted to kind of make sure that these people are fans. Not, No, not really. But I did ask for, you know, to give me your house um, or potentially your Patronus. Um, and so let's see what a pe- few people said. Um, just for the record, I already said I was a Gryffindor. I've taken the uh, the test for the Patronus, but I've never really felt like they were right. I feel like if I got to choose my Patronus, it would be a Peregrine Falcon or a Dolphin, and we can dissect that later if we when we get to the uh, maybe the third book or the fifth book where they really discuss the, the Patronus. Um, but yeah, let me let me get you um, a couple comments. All right, so I've got a I've got a comment from from uh, Mary uh, and says, "Hey, I am definitely a Ravenclaw. I was first introduced to Harry Potter when my older brother lent me a library copy of The Sorcerer's Stone. I was hooked immediately. The first book is so colorful and fun. The Wizarding World is fascinating, and The Sorcerer's Stone is a perfect introduction. Good luck on the pod. Thanks, Mary. I'm uh, I'm hoping I do this justice. I've got a couple other podcasts but they're all movie and tv show based this is my first one on a book so uh, a little out of my comfort zone on this but i appreciate the uh the uh encouragement um james says according to the quiz i'm a gryffindor but i've always associated more with ravenclaw it's totally fine as you know when we get into the book of course uh harry was able to choose which one he was so you know not slytherin got put him in gryffindor so maybe you could say not gryffindor and get put into ravenclaw um anyway um 
back to James Common. I've been a fan of the series for as long as I can remember and recently listened to the books again. The most interesting part of the series is how we all grew up. As the characters grew up, the Sorcerer's or the Philosopher's Stone to the UK mates is so drastically different from the Deathly Hollows in terms of tone. It's truly a beautiful thing to me. Um, I, I agree with that. You know, I, I started this series when I was in the, like the summer between fifth and sixth grade. Um, the third book was about to come out. So whenever the third book came out, I started reading the series about two weeks before, but yeah, I definitely grew up with these with these books and then uh, the movies as well. Yeah, it's definitely interesting, and it's funny because um, the first book was my favorite for a long time, and then it was the fourth book, and then like a lot of people, as I matured, I started to like the third book again uh, and have that be my favorite. But I've gone back, and I still think the first book is my favorite because it is such a um, a good introduction. And funny enough, the the Deathly Hollows is my least favorite book, and I think they did a good job of wrapping up the series. But for whatever reason, that one always feels a little bit more like a chore to me. So, uh, I think that episode will be an interesting one. Connor says definitely a Hufflepuff for me. Uh, Harry Potter means my childhood to me. I was nine when I started reading them in 1997. I was hooked from there. Went to every midnight launch for the books and movies. Would stay up all night reading the new book until I passed out, literally cried when Dobby was killed and my sister came to my room thinking there was something seriously going on uh, from me crying in the middle of the night. Big collector of Harry Potter Legos as it combines two of my favorite childhood passions. Uh, my favorite character is a tough one. I've always liked Ron growing up as there weren't many ginger-haired characters in pop culture, the whole Weasley family, really. But then I really like Luna, uh, the kind outcast who's just isn't afraid to be herself but is brave and stands by her friends. Um... I also really relate to the the Luna character. Um, she reminds me a lot of uh, my wife, and um, you know we'll talk about Luna. You know once we get into the uh, the fifth book and later. But um, I always thought that Harry should have ended up with with Luna. But you know I, I know that's a hot take. Nobody else has ever thought of that. But yeah, those are just a few comments from some of uh, the great uh, mates or the half brick mates. Um, but yeah, let me get into the book. Um, this book is a really easy one to do. Um, for this podcast, I did a combination of um, reading and also listening to the the audiobook. I was on a, a business trip, so I had to uh, make do and have the best uh, amount of time as I could. So, yeah, it's it's a. Uh, was a interesting hearing and reading it. Actually, I want to say a note up front: listening to it versus reading it. Um, in the introduction to Snape, he asked Harry where he could find what I always read as Bezor, um, but, you know, it helps cure the the poisons, um, but it is actually pronounced, in, at least in the audible um, version, um, bourgeois. Uh, I guess it's a French word, and I had no idea, so I think that was um, interesting. I've definitely listened to the series before. Um, the audible books are amazing, um, but I never really noticed until I was listening to it from a critical standpoint um so going through this we've all i'm assuming have read the book and watched the movie so i'm not gonna break down every chapter um and now that being said things might change as we get into later books depending on feedback but uh, i'm not gonna break down every chapter i'm just gonna kind of hit some bullet points and things that stuck out to me i'm definitely gonna make fun of the book i'm a 33 year old man so there's a lot of things that i could look at at i didn't notice as a kid but look at them now and think they make uh, a little less sense. But I, um, I'm also going to do my best to not go and talk about future books. I'm going to do my best to try to read this um, or dissect this as somebody reading the book for the first time. 
I know I'm going to break that rule. I know myself, but I'm going to do my best. But um, I think the the opening chapter of the book is a really fun one. Uh, you know, it you know it's all through the perspective of Vernon Dursley and uh, just seeing all this weird stuff appearing, and we get an introduction to, of course, Hagrid, Dumbledore, and Minerva uh mcgonagall um i don't know why i went and called her her first name that's silly but um that was actually one of my first notes is that it's it's interesting that um dumbledore you know sees uh, mcgonagall in her cat form and he calls her professor mcgonagall and not minerva as he does in later books there you go i'm already breaking the rule um but i always thought that was interesting like this is a day of celebration he even says like why have you been waiting here all day? Why don't you go to some of the millions of parties that are going on because of the downfall of Voldemort? So I always I, I thought that was a little little interesting this time. The other thing, God, I'm going to do it again. Like I, this is one of my notes, but later on we find out there's a reason why Dumbledore kept having Harry go back to the Dursleys. Um, he gives the explanation in the first book that you know they need he needs to stay with the dursleys because it'll keep him grounded because he's going to be the most famous wizard in the world and that's the only way to uh have him have a somewhat normal childhood um i'm pretty sure between the order of the phoenix and any number of people that albus knows he could have probably found somebody who would have treated him like a normal kid but you know whatever you know it's a fun introduction to the world you know we find out that harry's had all these mishaps his hair grows and obviously he has the encounter with the the boa constrictor in the uh the zoo where the glass comes out um what i one of my favorite things though is um when he starts getting the letters and you know it specifically acknowledges this uh, the uh the cabinet under the stairs and then eventually the smallest room i don't understand why for like Harry and Hermione, somebody didn't come in person. And once again, I'm already breaking the rule. I'm just going to throw out the rule not about not talking about stuff um, from future books because we do find out that you know Dumbledore went to Tom Riddle in person, and there are other cases in the series that comes up where that's the case. Why would they not have sent somebody in person? Why why Hagrid eventually? Um, but one of my favorite lines in both the book and in the movies, I actually say this all the time. My wife and I like to go for long walks. And uh, sometimes on the weekends, we're, you know, walking back. My wife's like, did you check the mail? And I always go, no post on Sundays. Um, but I, I think that's hilarious because um, Vernon is super excited about that Sunday, about mail not coming. And of course, the letter comes anyway. One of the things, and we've actually had a discussion on this in the Facebook um, group, and I think I was in the minority, but I'm going to bring it up. But when Hagrid shows up on the little tiny island and um, Vernon kind of grows a spine, is like, I'm not going to, you know, teach this kid magic tricks. And then he kind of talks some smack about Dumbledore and Hagrid kind of goes off and he's like, well, bloody muggle is going to do or what's a bloody muggle like you going to do or something like that. And I am of the opinion that Muggle is definitely a slur. We obviously get Mudblood later on, and we have the conversation. You know, I mentioned, I'm like, how is Mudblood a slur, but not Muggle? And I think you have to look back at it, back at it historically. And, you know, I'm a cis white male living in the U.S., so I'm not the uh, authority on uh, punching down or... or um, you know, <laughs> being inclusive of whatnot, like that's, that's not, you know, my area. But if you look back at the usage of the N word, you can go, you know, it goes back to like the 1500s, but even, you know, books like Tom Sawyer and, uh, uh, not the wizard of Oz. I don't know why I went wizard of Oz. Um, 
Gone with the Wind, um, the characters throw the N-word around pretty flippantly, and it's not necessarily a hostile tone. It's a casual tone. But if you read these books throughout the first book, um, and then definitely as you get into the second book and the later books, um, the way that even the quote-unquote good characters, their heroic characters, Ron and his family, they, you know, even Hagrid, you know, talking about things, you know, they they act like, oh, look at these idiots, you know, look at what they were able to accomplish even without magic. Um, but they all just very casually are very dismissive of of the non-magic users. And then, of course, you get people who say, it, you know, you know, you get the mud blood later, but, they, you know, half blood and everything like it gets really, really racist. And it, it just seems like there are points when, you know, they say muggle lover and there's disdain in it. So it's it's like the difference of, you know, the casual racism where people are just like it's a product of their time. And, you know, they might use the N-word, but they weren't, you know, they weren't putting like venom on it. They weren't putting fire on it or anything like that. They were just saying it casually. And then you get the people who use it very angrily, even, you know, decades and decades and decades back. So I would challenge people to go through and, you know, maybe this is a 2022 woke kind of lens, Go you know, go woke, go broke. But really look back at it and you'll see even characters like um uh mr weasley who loves seems to love uh muggles he is very ignorant and he just assumes the worst like everybody just assumes the worst and just assumes people are kind of like backwards um the muggles so i i I challenge people to go back and read it because i definitely think muggle is a slur and it's just casually used and people don't really realize it's bad but i feel like and, and people use it just flippantly with with non-magic users but i think if most magic users if the world opened up and the magic community and the non-magical communities combined and people kept being called muggles i think people would take offense to it so that's that's interesting but anyway why isn't the ministry tracking hagrid he was you know we we find out early on in this book that he was um expelled and then later on you know when they go into Diagon Alley and they're getting wand uh, a wand for Harry and Ollivanders um Ollivander explicitly asks Hagrid he's like oh they probably got snapped your wand breaking the rule again oh I already threw it out doesn't matter but later on we find out once a wand is damaged it's pretty much useless uh, we find that out in the second book um with with miss uh with um we find that on the second book with Ron it seems odd to me that Hagrid's wand would actually work in that umbrella and let alone that he would be, you know, he does some transfiguration and he was kicked out in his third um, year. It seems odd that he would have been able to do the Dudley pig thing, but it does seem interesting that, you know, he was essentially a criminal and that I know once you get over 17, the mark goes away, but you think criminals would have the mark or something to track people. So just that, that, that rubbed me that then that was really interesting. And I also, you know, Hagrid, going back to Hagrid and going back to the muggle being a slur thing, Harry asks, like, why is it such a secret? And they're just like, he's really casually just kind of racist about it. He's just like, eh, you know, they would want magical solutions to all their problems. For the most part, we see that broken bones are healed instantly. And, you know, all these things that are common um, ailments can be cured by magic very, very easily. It is kind of messed up that the wizards don't want to help the non-magical community when it would be effortless for them to do that i don't know it, it to me it, it seems seems a little odd and you know obviously this is a child book and it's a really easy um solution to figure out um 
to move the story along and keep it secret, but it kind of falls apart if you scrutinize it. Another thing that I thought was odd, Harry goes to get his robes, and this is where we're introduced to Malfoy, and I think it's a really good introduction. The character, we see right away that he's kind of a an evil um, child. He's very mean, and he's like, you know, he's very... He doesn't know anything about Harry Potter. He doesn't know who this kid is, and he just immediately starts talking about muggles and half-bloods and how they shouldn't be around. Not knowing anything about it shows, just shows, you know, some people are willing to be pretty racist. Um, but he mentions that his mom is over at Ollivander's looking at wands. We also find out that Neville is using his father's wand. And I think Ron was using um, Charlie's old wand. And they make a big deal about the wand being a big deal and it's important and it chooses the user. It seems odd to me that, you know... And we also find out later on characters get really, really attached to their wands. Why, and I know it's expensive, but why did Charlie get a new wand? And why, you know, somebody like the Malfoys who can definitely afford wands, why would they not have Malfoy there? And you think Malfoy would be really into picking his wand and getting it. So that seemed a little odd to me. Um, moving right along, getting over to platform nine and three quarters. It's really messed up that Vernon just kind of leaves his nephew there and just kind of snickers and like, oh, nine and three quarters is somewhere in the middle there. <laughs> Why does the letter not explain how platform nine and three quarters works? Like how did all the other half, um, not, you know, even, yeah, some of the half bloods like, uh, Seamus had no idea that he was a, a wizard initially. Um, and then you also, of course, had Hermione. How did Hermione get through? Now, there's this very popular theory that Molly uh, Weasley noticed right away that Harry looked lost and she started speaking up and she drops the the the, the muggle word. So, you know, to kind of hint that, hey, you know, I'm a magic user and very vocally is like, oh, you, you know, platform nine and three quarters is right over here. And she, you know, teaches them how. But why didn't somebody do that? Why isn't there like a liaison from the school or the ministry that's helping these these uh, people who had no idea that they were wizards, um, the people who were non-magical born, um, who have no magic parents? It seems odd. Like my my nephew actually went to this boarding school in in Israel. Um, he's no longer doing that. He's back, and I'm really happy he's not doing it. But they had an office here in where I'm based in Los Angeles, where they um, had somebody go and meet him and make sure he got all his paperwork taken care of, made sure they coordinated the flights, got him, and then he got over to Israel, and there was somebody there waiting. Um, in Israel to make sure he was getting where he needs to go because he's not from that world. So I, I think that's a little little interesting. Get some really great introductions on the the Hogwarts Express. Of course, we get Hermione, and you know she's a little snotty initially. And you know you've got a little dirt on your nose. Did you know? Um, you know we start seeing Malfoy being you know getting his gang crab and Goyle. Um, do think it's funny that Scabbers bites bites a uh, crab. I'm curious at this point if uh, J.K. Rowling knew if Sc that Scabbers was going to end up being a human. Like, was this some human compassion? Was it instinct? I don't know. I think it's interesting. Um, we also get Neville and the twins and Percy. You know, really, really great short introductions to all these characters. You really get a good feel for what they're going to be. I, I actually even like that, you know, Hermione's very, very unlikable. Um, at the beginning and I that was something that as a kid I grew up with if you go and look at some of my middle school and high school yearbooks um, there are quite a few comments like I didn't like you at the beginning of the school year but now I realize you're really cool because I was a, both a smart ass and a smart aleck you know um, and I was a know-it-all like I, I got like straight A's through through high school 
And, you know, I was always the person raising my hand. You know, I wasn't obnoxious like her going, ooh, 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 and, you know, falling out of my seat. But, you know, I had the answer. So if people, you know, didn't like it, I, I saw a little bit of myself and Hermione even, you know, when I was reading this um, in, in fifth and sixth grade. Um, so, yeah, uh, another reason why I relate to that character. Getting into Hogwarts, you know, it's, you know, we get really great descriptions and we get the the sorting hat um, ceremony. There is no rhyme or reason to how they are called. It's not in alphabetical order. Um, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, just just listen to it uh, or read it and you'll notice that it's definitely not in an alphabetical order. It doesn't seem to be. I don't know. I, I, I could not tell you how they did that really want to talk about this the the chapter uh the potion master where we meet snape um truly for the first time and he immediately picks on harry it's a great scene in the books it's a great scene in the movies um but you know something and this is you know reading into the future a little bit but he's he talks about how potions is an exact science but we we know later on that he didn't follow the rules so like how did he figure out how to do all these different things how's he better you know that makes the character really interesting but i snape is as much as a he's a despicable person he is a great character and i would love to learn more about how he became the this this uh the wonderkind of, of potion making. Um, yeah, that's, that's just, that's just interesting. And you know, it is kind of messed up that he's, uh, picks on students. I'm just going to say at the beginning of the podcast, you're, I'm never going to hide how I feel about characters. I think Snape is a fantastic character, but I'm in the camp that he's not heroic. I always hate, you know, at the end of the series and both the book and the movies and, and I, I see it online and the fan community, but he is a toxic character. He was toxic to Lily. He was toxic to Harry. He's toxic to the staff at his school. He's toxic to everybody. Sure, he did good things, but that doesn't make you a good person. And he is a bad person. He is emotionally abusive to children. He's totally okay with children being in pain. Uh, I mean, even in this introduction, um, Instead of he should be supervising the class, but Neville throws the pine needles or nettles or whatever it is into the cauldron before taking it off the heat. And he snaps at Harry. I mean, like, why didn't you make sure he didn't do that? That's not Harry's job. That's your job to teach. Like, you should be doing that. And, you know, why is his first reaction to yell at another student versus making sure that the student's okay? And then we also find out later on, you know, um, he's needlessly cruel when, um, somebody cast a spell on Hermione and her teeth start growing in a, in a later book. And he's just like, Oh, it looks the same to me. And he's like relishes in the fact that she's in pain and suffering and he's just not a good character. So we get into the, the flying lessons. I, I love that chapter. You know, I think it's great. Um, you know, you do have to suspend your disbelief that this kid is just amazing at, at flying immediately. Um, but it is a fun scene in the description. And I like that we acknowledge that Draco isn't a liar in everything. He definitely lies about stuff, but we do find out that he actually is a pretty decent flyer. And so Harry has to, you know, this is something that Harry has to grip or uh, this is something Harry has to grapple with the rest of the series is how much of what he's hearing Draco say is true. How much of it is him just um, bluffing and trying to act cool. And that's something that just builds and builds and builds and, 
you know, people comment on it, especially in like the the sixth book um, when he's having people stalk uh, Malfoy. Everyone's like, we're tired of hearing about Malfoy. And, you know, he's right, but he's also wrong at the same time. So I think that's that's really good. Um, skipping around, getting over to, to Quidditch. The Quidditch chapters were always my favorite. I, I think I would have been great at Quidditch. Um, if I had the opportunity, I played hockey, and I think Quidditch is a lot like hockey, and uh, I think I would have been really good at it. And I remember when the fourth book came around and they canceled Quidditch um, for the Triwizard Tournament, I was really, really bummed. Um, getting into some of the the meteor stuff, um, you know, we're now going to start getting into the plot of the story. So, of course, uh, we find out that... Um, there's a special item, of course, it ends up being the Philosopher's Stone or the Sorcerer's Stone that Voldemort is trying to get to get his powers back and his body back. And, you know, we do a um, J.K. Rowling does a really great job of making you hate Snape and thinking that Snape is the bad guy. And, you know, a lot of chi children books, you know, the person that you perceive to be the bad guy is the bad guy. And, you know, the first time I read this, I was really shocked that it ended up being Quirrell. Um, but some things that as an adult, it's abundantly, abundantly clear and things that don't make sense is, and this is something that I know the position is cursed, but how is it that Dumbledore gets the worst candidates every year for the defense against the dark art teacher? You know, later on, we can kind of hint that he probably knew that it was cursed, but um, I mean, Quirrell on paper seems like a terrible choice. You know, we know that he's faking and he actually is really good at trolls, but how is he not immediately the person of suspicion when a troll gets in and he gets scared and he runs away and he's like troll in the dungeon thought you ought to know and then he like faints but he's the person who put the giant troll in the labyrinth at the, not the labyrinth but the gauntlet at the end of the movie um, where you have to go through all the challenges like how is that not immediately something and of course we're not privy to any backdoor you know meetings that Dumbledore had, had with the staff but like surely that's something that you should be paying attention to getting into the, the Christmas era. And by this point, they, they now know of Nicholas Flamel because uh, Hagrid let it slip. So they're doing all the research and Harry goes out um, with the invisibility cloak. Invisibility cloak would be amazing, but I do think it's interesting that Dumbledore gave it to him and we find out he gave it to him. And in reality, Dumbledore let Harry go on these dangerous escapades to come find him. That is really messed up because it is a first year student and how, I mean, I would be very concerned with my teaching staff who are supposed to be experts in their field that they made a gauntlet that first year students could do. It's essentially kindergarten for magic when you really think about it. That should not happen. What is he thinking? Um, but anyway, Miravam Eris said, I was uh, not today years old when I found out that Eris is just uh, desire backwards, but um, I didn't figure that out until, you know, maybe three or four years ago. So um thought that was pretty funny. Um, I feel bad for Ron because, you know, he looks in the mirror and he sees himself as head boy. And some of these things come true. You know, he does become a prefect. Um, he does make the Quidditch team and they get the Quidditch cup, but he is not the captain. So it is interesting that some of his stuff comes true, um, but not all of it. But he ends up being, I think when you really think about it by the end, you know, he gets Hermione and he is a big part of saving the day. He figures out how to destroy a couple of the Horcruxes and becomes heroic on his own part, rescuing the, the house elves and whatnot. Um, so I would say that his, desire 
really did come through. Um, and that just kind of makes Harry's a little sad because, you know, obviously he was never getting his true family back, but he found his family along the way. I'm a big fan of that adage that uh, family is who you choose. Um, I'm somebody who does not have ties with a lot of people in my family. My family is a are the kind of people who like to cut people out and disown people and they never come back in. So I have friends that are closer to me than blood. Um, you know, I have people who've been in my life that I consider closer than, you know, I call them brother and they're closer to me than my actual brothers. Um, my wife's family, I'm much closer to them than my own family. So I think you can choose your own family and that's, that's great. Um, one of the cruxes of the story though, and, it, you know, I, I honestly, I don't know why I didn't pick up on it until this read through. Um, so I know Dumbledore made it to, you know, roughly 100 years old. Um, but Nicholas Flamel, they throw out that his age is over 600 years old. And the whole, you know, a big chunk of the story is they're trying to figure out who Nicholas Flamel is. And Harry's like, I've definitely read that name. I've definitely read that name. Turns out it was on the very first um, chocolate frog card that he got. How did Dumbledore help Nicholas Flamel with the Philosopher's Stone, Sorcerer's Stone, if he was already 600, let's say maybe it was earlier, maybe he was already 500 years old, then that doesn't really make sense because that would have been Dumbledore as an infant. How was Dumbledore involved? I don't know. Somebody, if somebody knows that answer, please let me know. Getting another big plot point, and you know, this, this was a plot point of convenience, but you know, of course, um, Hagrid gets Norbert the dragon um, from Quirrell hiding in the in the uh, tavern. Um, what I don't understand is the security at the school is very lacking. So throughout the book and all the books, the kids come and go when they're not supposed to after hours and they have the, the invisibility cloak. Sometimes the fat lady's at the portrait. Sometimes she's not. Why Shouldn't her job be to tell when people are out of bed i don't know um that doesn't make a ton of sense to me um there's no like alarms so if people open the gates uh the front doors so they can go and leave so yeah harry and hermione go and get norbert and they go meet at the top of the tower so um uh charlie and well not charlie but charlie's uh colleagues can get norbert wouldn't it have made more sense that they you know maybe haggard met in the forbidden forest or he took the dragon to Hogsmeade or somewhere else. Um, but it does seem odd that four grown men can just fly into the campus and, and land. Um, doesn't seem okay that adults can just come to a, uh, a school whenever they want. So think about that. Um, but yeah, you know, we get to the, 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 the finale, you know, Harry and Hermione and Ron, they solve all the, the uh, the puzzles, you know, they they figure out that you can you can to get uh, Fluffy asleep by playing music, and then Devil's Snare, great scene where Hermione proves another reason why she's not in Ravenclaw and she's in Gryffindor. She's very smart, but she's not necessarily creative. You know, she thinks the most direct thing. You know, oh, I need to create a fire. I need what? No, you're a witch. Use use magic. Or Ravenclaw would have, I think, gone immediately to that you know uh, Hermione is a little literal at this point um you know the chess scene is great you know Ron being heroic the potion scene that's uh you know Hermione has to logic her way through but then we get to the finale and the finale I think is really clever most people think it's clever you know Harry is able to find the stone because he looks in the mirror of Erised and he only wants to find it so he can get it and Dumbledore and somehow made it where the stone ends up in his pocket 
Harry Potter straight up murders somebody as an 11 year old. Sure, it's in self defense to an, you know, it's definitely in self defense, but, you know, Quirrell, you know, initially is like, oh, I'm not going to touch this guy. And he's going to, you know, kill him with his wand. And then Harry lunges for his face, knowing that it's giving this guy like third degree burns. Like, that is something that is so brutal. Like, how does that not traumatize him forever? Like, he immediately, you know, three days later wakes up and immediately he's like asking Dumbledore everything and trying to find out what's going on. And we get the stereotypical Harry Potter. This is the thing in pretty much every book. You get the uh, the exposition dump at the end that explains every event in the book uh, is at the end of it. But he gets his exposition dump and then he gets to hang out with, uh, you know, we get the, the, the comedic... Uh, <laughs> birdie and bots every flavored beans you know earwax and whatnot and then he gets to hang out with harry or um he gets to hang out with ron and hermione for a little bit and then you know we get the feast and of course you know the the meme you know a thousand points to gryffindor so that way they can win the the house cup but he's immediately just on board like with just moving on with his life and i know it's the 90s you know therapy wasn't as mainstream then people you know there were still the the stigma against it and you know that's slowly gone away but how is he not immediately in therapy for that how are they not obliviating his mind a little bit to help him cope um pretty pretty messed up but i mean that is a really rushed uh synopsis of the the book these are just come some things that i i think of um so yeah i'm really interested you know tell please you know leave a review or leave a comment so I, you know, know how you guys feel about this. Let me know if there's anything in detail you want me to do. I think when I go and do uh, Chamber of Secret, I will go back and read some feedback on this or comments off of the first episode. So I really want to hear what you guys think. Um, and then I'm going to close with a question. So we hear that Slytherin has won the last like five years and six years um, for the house cup. But we also know that the Slytherins are the ones who are cheating all the time and being disruptive. And yes, they're go-getters and they're ambitious. Um, but why with the exception, you know, with the obvious reason that Snape doesn't ever take points away from his own class um, or his own house, why do other teachers not throw the book at the Slytherin students? Cause they're always the ones causing trouble. Um, they're always the ones causing trouble. So I am very curious as to what you guys think the reason is. But um, that is it. Um, thank you guys for listening to the very first full episode of Muggle Mike and the Half Brick Mates on the uh, Sorcerers slash Philosopher Stone. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you guys want to. Um, check out anything I did. Go back to the introductory episode, and I've got links to some other stuff that I've done. Um, but thanks for listening, and uh, I really hope to keep this going. Um, if you guys need to, um, if somehow you made it this far into the podcast and you're not part of the Half Brick Mates group and you're interested in joining, I will have a link in the uh, description for this. But um, you can just uh, go on Facebook and type in Harry Potter and the Half Brick Mates. Mates is spelled M, the letter, the letter, M, the number eight, and then S. So M8S. Mm, mates. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs>